Well, if you're looking at your handout, I've titled this sermon, Preparing for Christ's Return. Okay, preparing for, preparing for Christ's Return. There's a popular thing today called being a prepper. Okay, I think it's always been around, being a prepper. Uh, a lot of people have been doing that for a long time. Uh, but it got really popular, it got really uh, well known uh, during the COVID pandemic. You know, it seemed like everybody just became a prepper, started preparing for things. Um, one website says, because I did look into that, I'm like, man, everybody's doing it. You know, you got to wear 5'11 tactical clothes and you got to be a prepper, right? Um, and you got to stockpile everything. So I looked up a website that, that talked about being a prepper. Okay, prepper from the word prepare, preparation, okay? Uh, that website says, preppers are those who actively prepare for all types of Worst case scenarios from emergencies to natural disasters to civil unrest. So worst case scenarios like emergencies, natural disasters to, to civil unrest. Now, who here, is, who here considers himself or herself a prepper and what are you preparing for? Anyone? You don't have to be like a mild, a moderate, or a severe prepper because there are different types of preppers out there. Um, so, Miss Julie, you're a prepper? <laughs> Apparently, yeah. More than yours. So you like moderate, moderate prepper. Okay, what are you preparing for? Everything. Everything. <laughs> everything. Every- yeah, shortage of everything, right? Anyone else? Any other preppers? You guys not preparing for anything? Yes, Grace. College, yeah, yeah, college. How, how are you preparing for college? Now, yeah, early. Yeah, in like middle school, you got to start preparing for that. Good, good. Well, have any, no one is a prepper when it comes to worst case scenarios, emergencies, uh, natural disasters, civil unrest. I mean, maybe, maybe your dad or your mom, anyone? There you go, yeah. We, we won't tell them. Okay, I won't tell them that you're calling them preppers. Um, but this website, this website says, here's how you start, Okay. Um, here's how you start. You, don't, you, you guys don't, this is not part of the sermon that you write down the, what I'm saying, but just for uh, entertainment. The website says, number one, start collecting research materials about prepping. Start Googling things, okay, how do I prep for A, B, C. Number two, study and practice your emergency plan. Okay, maybe in the home, you know, an invasion happens, what, 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 what would you do? What's your plan? And you got to practice it. Okay, I'm laying down in bed. Okay, how do I, you know, there's a door right here. You know, you just got to plan and practice, okay? Number three, make an, an emergency contact list. And we, we do this with our kids. You know, our kids are really young, but we want to make sure that they know the names of their parents um, and our phone numbers and where they live. Number four, start getting your finances in order, because you need money when when things get worse. Number five, work out and start eating right. I mean, you don't want to be a a slob prepper. Uh, You've stockpiled all these things, and you don't last because you you don't have cardio and you can't keep up. So that's not good. So start working out and eat right. Okay, no more Doritos, no more ice cream. Number six, stockpile necessary items. 
Okay, I stockpile something. I won't tell you because if I tell you, then you might take it. C4? No. C4 is good. It, there's a sushi place. They have a C4 sushi. It's good. Um, number seven. Number seven. Prepare a bug out bag. Pre- prepare a bug out bag. And this is, uh, this is my first time hearing this when I looked, at, looked this up. Who, who here has a bug out bag? Jack, you kind of went like this. Sort of? Your range bag. Okay. Anyone else? Not, not a diaper bag that you always grab when you, go, when you go to places, but a bag that you can just grab when, 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 yeah, in times of emergency, natural disasters, civil unrest, all those types of events. No? No bug out bags out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. But after you're, you know, when you're in your third, it's like a fanny pack. Um, well, this website says, here's, ha- here's what you should have in your bug out bag. Number one, a map. You know, because when things get really bad, internet, you can't access those things. So a map, a physical map, a compass, right? Extra food, water, and clothes. Water filtration system in case, you know, the terrorists poison our water. Uh, flashlight, first aid kit, fire starter, a firearm, and a knife, and a duct tape. So that's, you put that in your bug out bag, you're ready to go for anything, any uh, worst case scenario like emergency, natural disaster, or civil unrest. Now, is there anything wrong uh, in becoming a prepper? No. Right? No, like, like Ray said, you can prepare for other things, not just the bad stuff. Um, there's nothing wrong about being a prepper, but here's the point, students. Another pandemic, okay, a worldwide earthquake or a terrorist attack, all those things are possible, but they may or may not happen. Okay? That's why a prepper prepares for a, the worst case scenario, but it's not a guarantee. They may or may not happen. But there's one thing that is a guarantee, okay, 100, 100% money back guarantee, you know, slam dunk type of guarantee. Uh, an event that is going to happen, that will happen. What do you guys think am I referring to? Yeah. Christ is coming back. Okay, I want you guys to think about that. Okay, another pandemic like COVID, a, a worldwide earthquake, okay, um, a big national or even worldwide civil unrest, okay, or a terrorist attack. All those things may or may not happen. Yet people spend hours every day stockpiling things, you know, coming up with a plan, practicing the plan, just in case those things do happen, right? So we're busy doing all that, spending money in our time doing all that, when there's one thing that the Bible says that will happen, guarantee 100%, and that is Jesus Christ's return. Yet we are not, what? Prepared. Right? When did you guys think about Jesus Christ's return? When was the last time that crossed your mind? Right? And when it did, how long did it last in your mind? And when it did, and it lasted a while in your mind, did it affect how you live your life? 
Those are good questions you need to think about, okay? The question is this, are you prepared for Christ's return? So look at, look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Grab your Bibles and open to 1 Peter chapter 4. And follow as I read verses 7 through 11. 7 through 11. Again, this should, this, this should be exciting because we're, we're, we're becoming preppers, okay? We, we want to be experts in, in being a prepper for this. Verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, okay, be, because this is true, this is how you should react to it. This is, this is how it should affect you. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, that's all about prepping. Okay, that's all about becoming a prepper for the right thing, for the thing that is 100% guarantee will happen. The end of things is near, Peter says. The end of all things is at hand. So, here's the main point, okay? Here's the main point. If you truly believe that Jesus Christ is coming back, okay, if you believe that, and if you know that when He comes back, He is going to judge every single person who's ever lived, all of us, people before us, okay, that He's going to judge every single person who's ever lived, then the way you live your life now has to be different. Okay, let me repeat that. If you truly, really, genuinely believe, okay, that the return of Jesus Christ is a 100% guarantee that when He comes back, okay, listen, this way, when He comes back, He's going to judge every single person who's ever lived, including yourself. If you believe that, then the way you live now, however long you have left, has to be what? Different. It has to be different. You have to be a prepared person for that event. So here's, here's how Peter is going to help us. Okay, four ways Christians prepare for Christ's return. Okay, four ways Christians, those who believe in Jesus Christ, those who have given their li- lives to Jesus Christ and, and love Him and follow Him, those people, these are the four, four ways to prepare for Christ's return. Number one, be serious in your prayer. S-E-R-I-O-U-S. Be serious in your prayer, in your prayer life. Okay, if Bible reading is how God talks to you, praying is how you what? If Bible reading is how God talks to you, praying is how you talk to God, right? Okay, that's, that's the key to your relationship with, with God. Be serious in your prayer. Look at verse 7. The end of all things is near. Stop right there. The, all, the end of all things is near. That's, that, that's the opening statement by Peter. 
And that is the reason and the motivation for the commands that he's going to ask us to obey. Okay, for the rest of, of those verses, all the way through 11. Okay, that's his reason, his foundation, his motivation for us to obey all the commands that are going to follow. Now, this is not just saying that, that the end of everything, you know, everything on planet Earth, everything that you can think of, everything that you see um, is coming soon. It's not just saying that. Okay, this is primarily saying that the goal of God's plan is almost complete. It's, it's at hand. It's almost here. Okay, so I want you to think that way. It's not just, all, it's not just about, okay, everything's going everything's gonna to crumble. The, the, the end is coming. You know, everything is going to cease. Yes and no. Because the idea here is that God's plan is about to be complete. It's about to come to a, to a completion. Okay, that's what's near that Peter's talking about. Um, so just a quick review of God's plan. You know, God's plan started in creation. Okay, when God created everything. Okay, then Genesis 3, what happened in Genesis 3? What do you call it? The fall, right? The fall of man, right? Sin entered. Then fast forward, New Testament, Jesus Christ first coming. Okay, Jesus Christ's first coming, uh, which involved his life, or his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and ascension. Okay, after Jesus Christ, we enter the, what we call the church age. Right, Jesus leaves, he tells the disciples, okay, you're not, I'm going to leave you, but you're not really going to be alone because the paraclete, the helper, the Holy Spirit is going to be with you so that you can start planting and growing and spreading the gospel so that churches would be all over the world. Okay, that's where we're in right now. Okay. Then the goal of God the goal of God's plan is what's what we're looking forward to, the future, which is the second coming of Jesus Christ. So he already came first, first time. And we're waiting we're longing and we're expecting His return. That's the goal of God's plan. And it's still future. And it, 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 it involves Jesus taking believers with Him and giving them their rewards, their undeserved rewards. And also, it involves Jesus casting unbelievers away from Him, giving them their deserved punishment. Okay, that's, that's what Peter's talking about. That event. It's not, it's not another pandemic. It's not a worldwide earthquake. It's not a national civil unrest. It's none of those things. Those things may or may not happen, but this is going to happen. And it's still future. We're waiting for it. It's the goal of God's plan. When Jesus Christ comes back and he judges every single person who's ever lived, including you. Peter's not telling us the date, the day, the hour, but he's telling us, that it's near, it's approaching, okay? And since that is true, we need to be prepared. Look at, look at uh, verse 7. Then of all things is near, therefore, here's how you prepare, be of sound judgment and sober spirit. Be of sound judgment and sober spirit. I like how the ESV, if you have, a, if you have the English standard version, um, I like how they translated these two words. It's to uh, be self-controlled and spiritual no, no, sober-minded. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. Okay? ESV, you guys following, follow me? Yeah. Self-controlled and sober-minded. So let's just look at these words real quick. 
To be self-controlled is to be able to control your desires. Okay, I want to simplify these big words so that you guys can really understand them. Okay, to be self-controlled is to be able to control your desires. Okay, this means that instead of your wants and your passions and your desires controlling you, you're supposed to be controlling them. Okay, and when you control your wants, your desires, your passions, you can enjoy them in, maybe your parents have said this to you, moderation. If you cannot control your desires, your passions, your wants, and they end up controlling you, you're going to end up enjoying them in excess. And you're going to end up idolizing them. Right? That everything, everything is lo- in life is all about whatever that thing is that you've been idolizing and you've been enjoying in excess because it's been controlling you instead of you controlling it. So Peter says you need to be self-controlled. Secondly, you need to be sober-minded. And a simple way to describe that is to have a spiritual mindset. Okay? If self-controlled is to be, is to be able to control your desires, to be sober-minded is to have a spiritual mindset. A spiritual mindset. It's all about your mind, your thinking, okay, your thought process. This means that instead of being earthly-minded, right, all about the things of the world, all about, you know, whatever. Instead of being earthly-minded, you're supposed to be spiritually-minded, Peter's saying here. Now, this doesn't mean that all you think about is the Bible, okay? You do have to think about college. You do have to think about math. You do have to think about, you know... Uh, mystery of history. You need, you need to think about those things. Okay, you need to think about you know sports. It doesn't mean that you you only think about the Bible twenty four seven. Doesn't mean that. Okay, what this means is that whatever you're thinking about, your number one concern is what does God think about it. That's a spiritually minded person. Okay, let me repeat that. Whatever you're thinking about. Okay. What concerns you is what God thinks about it. If that's your life, okay, if that's your life, then you are a spiritually minded person. You are sober minded. Now, listen, students. One of the best compliments you would want to hear as a young person from anybody is when somebody says, Wow, you are mature. Or you are wise beyond your years. Okay, if somebody says that about you, or if somebody says that to you, okay, I've said, I've said that a couple of times, not a lot of times, because there's another pandemic in, among young people, and that is lack of maturity and lack of wisdom. Okay, lack of self-control and lack of sober-mindedness. Okay, your desires seem to easily control you instead of you controlling your desires. Your mindset is usually about earthly things, not about, not about what God thinks. But I have seen young people, teenagers, and I've, I, have, I have mentioned it to their parents and to other people. Wow, you know, you, you know that person? Yeah, yes, just mature beyond her years, wise beyond his years. And then I find out that the, the, the person's only, you know, 16. And I'm like, man, like, that was me when I was 28. <laughs> Why is that? Because it, he's mature beyond his years. She's, she's wise beyond her years. That's what you want to be. 
and you and there's no other way to get there other than being self-controlled and being sober-minded. So, if you want to become mature and wise beyond your years, and if being self-controlled and being sober-minded is the way, why? Why the, the question is why is that such a big deal, Peter? Why is that important? Well, he gives us why. Be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. For the purpose of prayer. Now, you might be thinking, what does, you know, be, being self-controlled and being sober-minded, what, what does that have to do with my prayer life? Okay. Well, being self-controlled and sober-minded leads to a consistent in what I call serious prayer life. It leads to that. If you are self-controlled, if you are sober-minded, it will produce and maintain a life that a prayer life that is serious about it that is that is consistent okay so let's connect the dots here let me let me ask you this question what do you think is wrong with you when your prayer life is inconsistent and not serious in the context of being sober-minded and being self-controlled what do you think is wrong with you when you've noticed that man i haven't prayed in so long and i think i prayed yesterday before dinner but i just like you know thank god for the food and that was it and I, I don't think I really meant it because that's what I always say. So when, when that is your prayer life, okay, it's not serious, it's not consistent. What do you think is wrong with you? According to Peter. Yes, Elias. Your mind is not set on the things above. Yeah, your mind is, is not where it should be. Right? You've been thinking about worldly things. You've been thinking about um, earthly things, the things of the world. Okay, what else? What else could be wrong? If your life, if your prayer life is not consistent and it's not serious. Connect the dots, what Peter is talking about here. It could be that, fill in the blank. Finish that sentence for me. I mean, just think about it. Okay? If you have not had a consistent and serious prayer life, this is a great opportunity for you to evaluate your desires and your mindset. Okay, what could be wrong, guys? Yes, Pookie. Yeah, that's a great connection. Okay, Pookie's connecting the dots. Elias is connecting the dots. It could be because you're desiring things that God doesn't want you to have, or maybe you're allowed to have it, but now it's not in moderation, but it's in excess. And it's affecting your prayer life. I'd rather do that than, you know, pray. Because when I pray, no one sees it. You know, no one says, oh, man, what a great, you know, prayer warrior. No, it, that doesn't give me that. But when I do this, man, people see that, right? It could be because you've been free, uh, feeding your mind with worldly and sinful things. And God knows what you've been thinking about. So why pray? Okay. Why pray? It could be because you're desiring things that God doesn't want you to have because they're not good for you or they're sinful. Why pray? Or it could be because you've been feeding your mind with worldly and sinful things and God knows everything that you're thinking about, so why pray? See how, see how being sober-minded and being self-controlled, right? How, how those two things affect your prayer life. So again, the, the, the application here is, is very simple. Okay? If you have not had consistent and serious prayer life you don't have to look far just say 
are there any desires that are controlling me that's affecting my prayer life? And is my mind so just full of trash that, that I haven't been praying? So if you're not serious about prayer, then two things are true about you. Number one, you lack self-control and sober-mindedness. And number two, you're not prepared for what? Christ's return. Okay? If your prayer life is not serious, you lack, you lack self-control, you lack sober-mindedness, and just face it, you're not prepared. You're not a good prepper. Okay? For the thing that is going to happen, Jesus Christ's return. Number two. Number two, be stretched. Okay, be stretched in your love. Be serious in your prayer. Be stretched in your love. This is in verse eight. Look at verse eight. Above all, so this is very important. Keep fervent in your love for one another. Keep fervent in your love for one another. Now, how would you define love? How would you define love? Maybe you say that often, right? To your parents, to your siblings. That's it. <laughs> how, how, how would you define love? When you say, I love you, what do you mean? That's fine. Maybe we don't say it. Yes, Grace. <laughs> Never mind. No, just give something. It's fine. Like, caring for somebody so much that you, like, you love them for the good and the bad. Yeah, so unconditional love, right? It shows that you do care. Good. That's a great, that's a great way of defining love. What else? Yeah, next time you say I love you to your parents, you, it, I want you to pause and say, what did I just say? <laughs> yeah, Nichols. Yeah, putting others above yourself. Pookie. Yeah, serving. You, when you say I love you, you're actually going to follow it up with an action. Yes. You show it. Yeah, you show it that you love those people. Here's, here's how I've defined love, okay? And this, you've probably heard this definition before and it keeps kind of uh, evolving. Microevolution, not macro. Here it is, okay? You can write this down. To love is to meet the need of somebody. Okay, you're meeting a need. To love is to meet the need of somebody at great personal cost, okay, it costs you. There's a cost, your time, money, feelings, sacrifice, whatever. Uh, at great personal cost, regardless of the person's worth, okay, Grace pointed that out, being bad or being good. Regardless of the person's worth, without, what do you guys think? Expecting anything in return that's love that's biblical love the world doesn't know how to love that way only christians do because if you really think about it students 
This is how God, what? Loved you. This is how God loved you. If you wrote down that definition, look at it, okay? God met your greatest need, which is forgiveness of your, all of your sins, okay? At great personal cost. What cost, what cost uh, God to meet that need? His son. Regardless of your worth, were you worthy? Were you like a good person? Like, man, that one is, I'll give that person my love. No, you were an enemy of God. Romans 5, helpless, enemy, sinner, ungodly. Without expecting anything in return. Do you love God 24-7 every day as a Christian? And does he say, oh, his love level for me is declining. I'm going to take back some love. Is that how it is? No, regardless Regardless of that, without expecting anything in return. So that's, since, since God has shown his love to you in that way, Peter's saying, you need to be fervent in your love for one another because you, you have it, right? If you're not a Christian, yeah, you, you're going to struggle how to love like God loved, loved, loved you. But here, you should be obeying this. Okay, notice that Peter says that we're to love one another fervently. Okay, fervently, you can say Earnestly, or, or uh, another word is intensely. Okay, fervently, uh, earnestly, or intensely. Picture, picture an Olympian uh, track runner. Like, uh, were you guys already born when Usain Bolt was uh, the king? Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe you were like six. Usain Bolt. How about Allison Felix for the women's? Man. Okay. Probably the, the fastest people who have ever lived. Okay, Usain Bolt and Allison Felix. Picture them, okay, running their, their race, and they see the finish line. They see the tape. They see the finish line. Do they just start jogging? Oh, there it is, man. Hey, what's up? No. No, no, right? They, they run even faster than they've been running, right? They don't, they don't slow down and jog. They go faster and they sprint, right? And when they cross the tape, when, they've, when they cross the finish line, what do you notice with their bodies? What do you notice? Going. Yes, but what happens? I mean, the slow motion show a lot. Yes. Like they're still like, very intense. Very intense. It looks like their bodies even like stretched, right? Like, like they're throwing everything to cross the finish line, right? Because every centimeter counts because you could win or you could lose if you don't stretch your body. That's that word here, fervently, intensely. Okay, earnestly. P Peter's saying that's how you love other people. You stretch yourself. Okay, you stretch yourself when you love other people. Why, why would you do that? Why should you stretch yourself in loving others? Peter gives us the reason. Look at it. Look at your Bible, verse 8. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Many sins, plural. Multitude of sins. Because love covers a multitude of sins. That's why you love others. Now, what, what this doesn't mean is that you ignore sins in your life or in your friend's life. Okay, oh, I just got to cover it. You know, love, love is to cover the sins, so don't even talk about it. Don't point it out. Don't confront. And if it's my sin, oh, I love myself. I just got to cover that. You know, just, it's, I'm okay. I'm fine. Right? No, that's not what it means. Here's... Here's what it means. Well, literally, it means this, which helps me um, know how to apply this. It means to throw a cloak over something. 
I know that's uh, uh, an old word, uh, a robe, okay? To throw a robe over something. That's the picture of covering a multitude of sins, okay? Um, here's an, an illustration. We went camping uh, this, this weekend with, with uh, Mr. Garrison and Miss Julie, and we camped by Lynx Lake up in Prescott. Okay, so we're like, man, we're right next to the lake, so let's go, let's go hike and look at the lake. So, so we hiked one morning, I think it was Friday morning or Saturday morning, we hiked to the lake, and we get there, and it was so smooth and calm. The water was so smooth and calm. And we're talking, you know, we're having a great time, we're just hiking. And then Toby, you know, he's seven, grabs like this massive rock and chucks it. And what happens when you do that? What do you see after? After the, 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 the rock sinks into the water, what happens? What do you see? Ripples. And then this, and it starts to di- disrupt the calmness and the smoothness of the lake, right? So, so when you sin, guys, or when you know someone sins, th- the ripple effect of that sin is what disrupts fellowship and relationships. So if you love that person, and, and if to love that person is to cover it, what, do you, what you do is you stop the ripple effect. You throw a covering or you go like this and stop it. That's the picture here. So here's how you can apply this today. Okay, number one, if your friend sins against you, how do you stop the ripple effect? You forgive that friend. And then it's done. No more rippling. No more damaging, right? If If a friend of yours sins against you, you forgive. That's how you cover that sin. If your friend sins against someone, okay, not you now, okay, your third party, right? If your friend sins against someone and you see it, you help. That's how you stop the rippling effect of that sin. You help. So if you're asking, okay, how do I help? Well, number one, you gently confront that friend. And number two, you humbly point them to what the Bible calls them to do, which is confess and seek forgiveness, when you do that for a friend, you are stopping the ripple effect. You are throwing a covering. You are throwing a cloak so that the damage and the disruption won't go any farther. Okay, let me repeat that. If somebody sins against you, what do you do? How do you cover that sin? You forgive. If you don't forgive, if you're petty, you know, so easily offended, and you're angry inside, and you want to seek revenge, you're just going to make that that ripple effect grow bigger and bigger. Okay? If your friend sins against someone you know, what do you do? How do you cover it? You help, right? How do you help? What are the two things that you're going to do? First one starts with letter C. Confront. And the second one is what? What's that? Show them. Show them what they're supposed to do. Seek forgiveness, confess, and seek forgiveness. Okay? So I just wanted to make sure that, that I give you guys those two very practical, very important ways to apply this. Okay, what does it mean to be stretched in my love? And Peter's saying, well, you need to cover sin. And that's how you do it. Number three, be sincere, S-I-N-C-E-R-E, be sincere in your hospitality. Be sincere in your hospitality. If you're wondering what happened after Toby threw that, that rock, 
Mr. Garrison and I just started skipping rocks. It was awesome. But that was just for the illustration. So, verse 9. Okay, verse 9. Be hospitable to one another. Be hospitable to one another. The word hospitality means to love strangers. Okay, to love strangers. And here's, here's how I have uh, kind of expanded that word strangers so that I'd become more hospitable. Uh, so strangers would be people that are new, who are new to me, uh, people who are not like me, and people who are difficult. <laughs> so to love strangers is for me to love those who are not like me, those who are new to me, and those who are difficult. If I can do that, then I am a hospitable person. Okay? Now, notice how we're to show this hospitality. Peter says, without complaint. I mean, it would have been, you know, this command would, would be a lot easier to obey if it just said, be hospitable to one another. But Peter had to tag that, you know, without complaint. Now it's like, oh, it's so hard, right? Without complaint. Literally, literally without grumbling and murmuring. Okay, so you don't even have to say anything, right? Who here is a complainer? Me and uh, half of the room. Good, good. Now, uh, when we complain, we actually don't have to say anything. We just have to go... That's complaining, right? That's the word here. It's, it's to grumble and murmur deep, deep inside in your heart. Okay, if, if you have those thoughts in your heart, you're already a complainer. You don't, you don't have to say anything that's complaining. Okay, it starts in the heart, the grumbling and murmuring in the heart. Here's a, an illustration about me, how I struggle with this. I, I lead two small groups and they're not, you know, small, small groups. They're large, small groups. And, and they can be so large at times because, because some nights we have like 20 kids. I mean like little kids, like 10, 10 year old and below, like 20 of them. And, um, you know, and I volunteer our home to host, you know, which is hospitable, right? Because it's showing your love for these kids, right? That's hospitality, you know. Hospitality is really sh uh, sharing your heart so someone feels like family and showing your home so that someone feels like they're at home. Okay, that's hospitality, your heart and your home, family and feeling at home. So, yeah, I, I, I can be doing that, you know, by hosting. But sometimes on the inside, I'm not so hospitable because I'm grumbling and murmuring. Here's what happens, okay? So 20 kids show up, right? right? The, the bus, the homeschool bus shows up and tw they drop 20 kids to our small group. Um, and then they're grabbing those, you know, those, do you guys use red plastic cups in your small groups? Okay, those plastic cups, like they, each kid grabs one, right? That's 20 cups. And they, they fill their cups with water. And what do they do after that? They spill it, right? And then they fill it up more. They spill it again, right? And then they step on it and they crush it and they grab another one. So that's 40 cups. That's one sleeve at Costco. That's $6. Right? So all those, those thoughts are, are, are happening in my mind, in my heart, as I watch these kids. You know, inside toys are now outside. Outside toys that are dirty are now inside. I'm like, ah, oh. Right? 
But, you know, I'm carrying a nice conversation with the parents. Oh, yeah, yeah, five kids, you know, not easy. You know, oh, 20 kids in here. Oh, this, yeah, this, this is God's house, you know, God's toys, God's plastic cups. Um, but inside, I'm complaining. So on the outside, I could look hospitable. But on the inside, I am definitely not hospitable. I am guilty of not obeying this command because I am complaining. I'm complaining. Well, enough about me. Let me turn the table around and talk about you. Okay? Let's talk about this weekend. Okay, this coming weekend, which is summer camp. Okay? You're going to be with 60 other people. About, yeah, 60 people. For four days. Okay? Four days. And a lot of them are strangers, people who are not like you, people who are different, people who are difficult, and people who are new. Okay, let me repeat that. A lot of them are going to be strangers. They're not going to be like you. They're, not, they're going to be different. They're going to be difficult, and they're going to be new to you. Okay, what a great way to be learning about hospitality. Okay, let me ask you this question. What wrong heart attitudes are going to prevent you from being hospitable and cause you to complain at camp? Give me some, some answers to that. What are some wrong heart attitudes that are going to prevent you from being hospitable to those people and actually cause you um, to be a complainer? Yes, Bill. Yeah, not wanting to share some of your belongings. Like, man, like I followed the packing list and I'm supposed to share some of these things. My snacks, my toothpaste. Right, what else? What other wrong hard attitudes that are going to prevent you from being a hospital person? Yes, Ryan. Yeah, so what's the wrong hard, hard attitude behind that? Because you are being what? What is that? Not hospitable. Because you're being... Oh, I don't want to talk to somebody. Because I would have to talk to somebody. I mean, I would have to come up with questions. And I would have to... You know, this takes some work. You know, I don't really want to do that. You being what? Sell, selfish. Okay, let me give you two major wrong hard attitudes that are going to show up this coming weekend that you have to say, there it is. Pastor Roy talked about that. I got to put that off because if I don't, I'm going to be unhospitable. I'm going to be a complainer. Here's the first one. Lack of trust in God. Okay. Lack of trust in God. If you don't believe that God is in control of your time at camp. Okay. If you don't believe that that he's in control of the people you're with, the group you're placed in, the cabin you sleep in, then you are not going to be hospitable. You're just going to be a complainer the whole time. It starts there. Okay, do I trust God that he is in control of everything of this weekend? Who am I going to sit with next to in the bus? Who am I going to sleep with in the cabin? You know, who's going to be in my discussion group? Okay, if you believe that God is in control of all of that, then you can be hospitable. You can say, hey, you know, this is, this is what it meant to be because God is in control of these people in my life for the next four days. Even though they're difficult, even though they're different, 
even though they're, even though they're new. I'm not going to complain about it because God is in control and I can trust Him. Here's the second wrong attitude. Selfishness. So lack of trust in God. Second, selfishness. I was reading a, a book when we went camping this weekend and it's titled The Hospitality Commands okay, by, by a guy named Alexander Strzok. And he said this. Listen to this. Okay? Selfishness is the single greatest enemy of hospitality. We don't want to be inconvenienced. We don't want to share our privacy or time with others. We are consumed with our personal comforts. We want to be free to go about our own business without interference or concern for other people. We don't want, to be res- we don't ha- we don't want the responsibility and work that hospitality entails. We are greedy and we don't want to share our food, our home, and our money. Why is that? Because we're selfish. So, again, students, if you don't trust God over this weekend, specifically the people that God are going to place in your life, in your cabin, on the bus, in your discussion time, all the time, you're not going to be hospitable, you're going to be a complainer. If you're selfish because you don't want to do the hard work of love, right, and not stretching yourself, you're going to be unhospitable and a complainer. So let me give you four ways, okay, to show hospitality at camp. Okay, these are fill in the blanks in your handout. Just very practical ways to be hospitable this weekend. Number one, spot, okay, S-P-O-T, spot those who are alone. And I think some of you know where they usually sit and stand. Some of you, I watch you, it seems like you're clueless. Like, you, like you, you, you'd almost like bump into them, you know, because you're on your way to your friends. Um, but I do think that some of you do notice them and spot them and you know where they are. But you just don't do anything about it. To be hospitable is to spot those who are alone. And you're going to see them this weekend. You know, you're going to see them on Friday. When we check in, that person is going to be leaning against the wall down here with his stuff next to him and everybody's you know sitting around those tables and those chairs and that person is going to be by himself or by herself leaning against the wall and then we get on the bus right and then we get there and then we have our dinner sitting by himself sitting by herself we get to uh, game time you know just on the sideline spot them know them okay let her be Show genuine interest. Show genuine interest. Okay, it's not, it's not all about you. Okay? It's about the other person. That's what love is. That's what hospitality is. It's not about you, okay? It's about the other person. Make sure you show genuine interest. If you're like, man, I don't know what to say to that stranger. Well, just ask something that would show interest about them, toward them, that you're actually interested. I mean, how would, how, how would you want to be talked to, right? If somebody asks you about something that you like and want, just do that, okay? And you don't, actually, you don't have to do it alone. You know, if you're like, man, what do I say? What do I ask? Just say, hey, you know, my name is Roy. What's your name? Okay, come here. We're talking about this, so come here. You're included now. You're in the group. 
you're with us now. You just do that, right? Nice and simple. Letter C, start new friendships. I hope you guys will go there with, with your friends and strong friendships, but I hope that you'd come back with more. Okay, start new friendships. It's not about clicks, it's about family. Okay, show genuine interest, it's not about you, it's about the other person. Start new friendships, not about clicks, about family. And then letter D, share what you have. Share what you have. It's not about taking, it's about what? Giving. Share what you have, whatever it may be. Oh, but they're going to take advantage of me. Well, guess what? They will. But love is unconditional. Okay, they're going to eat most of my, you know, Doritos. They might. But you know what? Jesus Christ might come back, right, this weekend. I mean, Pastor Scott might not even, you know, get to his sessions. Um, but it would be a sweet thing if Jesus Christ came back and we are, we have strong, serious prayer life, right? We're loving one another, stretching ourselves to the finish line, and we are sincere in our hospitality. Okay? So that's my hope. I'm confident that you guys can do this this weekend, that you can apply this. Um, don't, don't think that, oh, Pastor Roy is going to be watching, so I need to do it. No, no. God is watching, and Jesus Christ may come back, so that's why you need to do it, right? The end of all things is near. Therefore, do these things, okay? Um, we didn't get to verses 10, 11. That's for uh, two Sundays from now, so you get extra two weeks for your homework, okay? Those spiritual gifts that I asked you. Um, so, so just get ready for camp this weekend. If you're not coming, we don't have uh, Sunday school. Uh, be, be praying for us. If you are coming, start thinking about these things. Okay, about how, about how you can love and be hospitable to, to one another. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your providence. Your providence meaning how you work things out for your glory and for our good. And we happen to be in First Peter 4 talking about prayer and love and hospitality as we're approaching summer camp this weekend. So I pray that all of us, including myself, uh, would apply these things and would be honoring to you because we love you and because you've loved us first and because we know that you can return any at any moment and uh, help us to be to be intentional this weekend. Help us to be a ministry, a group of young people who are Christ-like in these, in these ways. So thank you for that privilege. And uh, thank you for these students, how you have saved them and, and, and are growing them and making them more mature and more wise beyond their years. And I'm thankful for that. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.